Hello and welcome to the Marketing Mind podcast brought to you by the team at Marketing Magazine and our partner Something Else. This month's episode is about the use of demographics in marketing and specifically problems around the term millennial. I'm Shona Ghosh, technology editor at Marketing, and I'm joined by Rebecca Coleman, features editor at Marketing. And later we'll also be hearing from Phil Barden, who is the author of Decoded, the science behind why we buy, and also Charles Valance, who is the founder and chairman of VCCP. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. This episode is called Millennials and the Snake People, which does seem a bit strange, but bear with me. There is a reason why. Um, So there's a Chrome plugin that came out last year called Millennials and the Snake People. And it turns, just because millennials has become such a prevalent term over the last couple of years, if you download this Chrome plugin onto your web browser, um, it turns any mention of the word millennials in any news article uh, to the the phrase snake people, which becomes (laughs) quite strange if you download it and forget that you have it like I did, and then you re- you know you come across the word a few months later and you just sort of see a, a New York Times headline that says, Dear Snake People, we're sorry. And you're just going, what? Um, but anyway, so um, just sort of something to, to show that the term millennials has become a bit overused, and, and that's the topic of the podcast today. Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about, just because you've been exploring this for the magazine issue, um, why do you why do you think the term millennial has really sort of come to prominence in the last couple of years? And and do you think people are sort of fed up of hearing it? Are we going to call them millennials or snake people? Oh, it's tempting, isn't it? If only we had a sort of audio plugin that that turned every mention of millennials to snake people, that would get very meta, wouldn't it? Um, let's stick with millennials. For okay, now. Um, tempting so as it is, <laughs> millennials. Um, have been talked about quite a lot for a couple of years now, I suppose. And they have been pushed by trends agencies um, and also sort of creative agencies um, who want to sound like they're down with the kids. Um, and they can they, they know all about this new generation. So, you know, you should go with them because they'll help you reach this mystery group of people. Um, as with a lot of this research, the boundaries of millennials is, is pretty blurred. So they can be people born anywhere from uh, the 1980s to the noughties, um, which makes them quite broad. And, yeah, they have all of these traits, apparently, that are very specific to them and the world they grew up in. So we're talking about a group that, that could be in their late teens into their 30s, basically. Um, and sort of behaviour-wise, what is it that these trends agencies and creative agencies are sort of claiming that they do? So they're very entrepreneurial. They don't like to have one job. They like to have three. They are very social, very tech-savvy. Who isn't now, quite frankly? Um, and they're very collaborative, very restless. I mean, I guess you could sum it up as the kind of vice generation. So uh, Vice is very much targeted at millennials. They talk about millennials a lot. And as a millennial yourself, indeed, as we both are, um, what do you think about the term? I mean, do you feel sort of annoyed at being lumped in with this wider sort of generational brush, I guess, that we're being tarred with? I do. Um, I don't really want to be lumped with all of my peers from all over the world just because of the year I was born in. But maybe that's because millennials are very solipsistic and I'm a millennial. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe I'm proving the point there, but uh, I don't really get it. I don't know how you can make those generational generalisations. It seems a bit strange. 
Okay, well, just so that we don't get too self-obsessed uh, about this, as, as is apparently the millennial want. Um, I know you spoke a little bit to Charles Valance, founder of VCCP. So let's hear a little bit of your conversation um, with him about the usefulness of demographics in marketing. The thing I try to make a distinction between is how you actually size, quantify and target a given group of people, which is necessary from the point of view of media efficiency and how actually the creative process works. So I don't think it's fair to call it lazy to say, if you're selling an upmarket banking product, we need to define our target audience and demographics will be part of that. Or if you're selling a certain type of car, you're not going to sell a family car to a single 23-year-old professional. There's some sort of self-evident necessity to have structure and logic to your targeting. Okay, so I get from that that demographics itself is not a useless tool for marketing, obviously, but perhaps, you know, a point he'll probably go on to speak about later, and so will Phil. Maybe millennial is too too sort of broader term. That's that's kind of my reading of what Charles is saying. Yeah, I think the gist of what I was getting was that he believes that you can segment by um, more personal things, so maybe segment by passion points um, or interests rather than this vast age group or take wider brush strokes and actually um, be a bit more generic in your advertising but in a in an emotional way in a in a way that um, could appeal to all human beings because they're these innate emotions so through humor or sadness or whatever it may be he came up with a particular brand example as well I think you mentioned that um might be quite interesting. I think he mentioned sort of EasyJet and the work that VCCP have done there and how they haven't focused on a particular demographic but kind of gone quite universal. Yeah, so the campaign is Generation EasyJet, which can be, you know, kids who are 8 to 89-year-olds. And he was talking about how it's really nice that you get to feature all of those people, all of those age groups in the advertising and especially the old people actually because generally speaking you only see old people in things like the John Lewis ad where you're weeping at them and this is actually quite a joyful expression of age and uh, all of those experiences you can have through travelling on EasyJet. Um, Okay so let's move on and, and see what he has to say about targeting. Targeting can become a tyranny. I think it is necessary if you've got a million pounds or 10 million pounds or 100 million pounds to work out where you're going to concentrate that budget. And that means involving some targeting definitions and some demography, etc. And I accept that. But it's almost incidental as to what people's motivations and emotions are, which, which, which are much, much more primal and universal. You know, we cry at the same things and we laugh at the same things. And it doesn't really matter what age we are. There are generational nuances, but I think they're massively overplayed. So, yeah, there's some interesting stuff there about the uh, generational nuances. So, you know, all of this uh, millennials are much more entrepreneurial than their forebears. But you do find that a lot of agencies that put this research out uh, have, have done research on all different generations and they tend to say the same things about all of the generations. Uh, so... Gen X are really into experiences and authenticity and then they'll bring out a report on millennials that says millennials are really into experiences and authenticity and it kind of makes you think, well, maybe just people are into experiences and authenticity. It makes it seem like it doesn't really mean anything. So do you think um, marketers have just been sort of seduced by the term then slightly? I think so. I think marketers like to have 
something that you know that supports a creative idea i suppose and if you're saying we want to attract younger people um and someone's giving you a solution for how to reach those people then you're probably going to jump on it so i'm not blaming the marketers necessarily i understand why it's an attractive thing to do um i just don't see that it is that useful and so this all stems you know the whole practice of demographics is is related to targeting products and advertising at the right audience at the right time. And obviously that's supposedly become easier with the rise of programmatic, which I think is sort of quite a hot potato in the ad industry, and particularly for creatives like Charles, who sort of argue that it might be the death of creativity rather than helping it along. Um, I'm interested to sort of hear what he says about how data might be sort of helping or killing off demographics. He thinks that a lot of targeted advertising is basically like the modern version of classified ads. So there's a complete lack of creativity because you think you've got someone at the right time and in the right place with the right product and therefore you don't really have to be creative in that situation. So, you know, the alternative to demographics is that hyper-personalisation. That's that's something that's always put forward as the alternative. And hyper-personalisation could be great um, if it's done properly, but at the moment it's just done in a way that sort of follows you around like a bad smell. Charles talks about that in the next clip. Well, I think it is worth it, very much so, but I think it's um, it's a mixed bag. Hyper-targeting can just mean programmatic and retargeting, which can end up being both annoying and counterproductive. If I'd been in a pub quiz and cheated and wanted to know what the capital of, I don't know, Cyprus was, I don't want to be inundated by tour holidays um, to Cyprus for the next week. It is hyper-targeted in one sense. It's hyper-targeted at a word on, online. It doesn't mean to say it actually understands me or does anything for me. And I think a lot of people find it quite frustrating. And another classic is if you're looking at car insurance, you're often not doing it for yourself, um, especially if you've got kids who are just coming into just 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 passing their driving test. And you're then you're then followed around by car insurers, and you're you're happy with your car insurance. You've just been doing a bit of research for someone else. All these things I mean it is hyper rather than hyper targeted. It just feels like hyperactivity, mm. and and it, and, it, and it can be counterproductive. That's very interesting. This idea of, um, you know, you, you look, well, this happened to me the other day. I was looking at rugs and then I was followed around by the rug that I didn't choose to buy and clearly don't want to buy. Otherwise, I'd have bought it for the next sort of couple of days. And it's very irritating. So I, I sort of completely get where he's coming from. Yeah, and you get it a lot with property sites as well. I mean, I've just been looking for a new flat and it's just been following me around the Internet. It's like, I, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that mm. two bedroom flat mm. that I was looking at for two seconds um so it is quite annoying yeah and i can see his point about them being a bit like classified ads because that is kind of how they're put forward and a lot of these ad sites don't even charge for the creative so there is really no creative process going into them um and if people are gonna not block these ads then they have to be useful or entertaining, and I don't think they're either at the moment. Just picking up on Charles's point about primal and universal human needs that, that are kind of unchanging regardless of whether you're Generation X, Y, Z or Millennial, and that's something that Phil Barden will talk about in a bit. Are there sort of brands who are picking up this idea of universal human values and targeting by that rather than demographics, which increasingly sounds a little old-fashioned? Well, I think some of the most successful 
brands in the world are ones that don't seem to target specific demographics. I mean, you can look at the Apples of the world or Ikea. Um, they're not going after one age group specifically. And Netflix, which is really, really popular, obviously, um, their VP of innovation, Todd Yellen, said that demographics were useless, basically, because they have all of this data on what people watch um, of different ages. And they said, you know, there's 15 year old boys watching dance mums. I'm not sure what that is, but presumably it's not targeted at them. Um, And then there are also, you know, grandmas watching Breaking Bad. So these generational generalizations really don't hold true when you actually look at the data. It's it's more kind of wishful thinking. It's quite scary, isn't it, actually? As, as marketers, you can have all these beautifully put together theories that your um, you know, consultancy has come up um, with for you and, you know, to, to kind of prop up your ideas. But actually, the data comes along and says, no, no, your audience is doing something completely different. So it must be um, quite difficult to keep up with this increasingly sort of scientific world. Yeah, I think so. And data is an interesting thing because it can either really aid creativity by giving you a starting point and something to jump off and something to help you continually refine or it could you know be detrimental to the creative process because you may have an absolutely brilliant idea but then the data doesn't back it up your audience don't like it um, apparently um, and something that could have been really successful gets sort of trodden down uh, in the first place because it's just not supported by data. OK, well, let's hear from Phil Barden next, who I spoke to um, this week. So Phil Barden's kind of whole shtick is that you should focus on, uh, again, those same sort of basic goals that humans have when it comes to, to making decisions. And he calls them, I think, neuropsychological drivers, which I think is just a very fancy way of saying we all want the same stuff because that's what our ancestors wanted, which is to stay alive and fall in love and look after our families and, and that kind of thing. These sort of very basic drivers behind why we make decisions. So I asked him a little bit about um, why we're so preoccupied with demographics and marketing and uh, millennials, and this is what he said. I think there's actually a preoccupation in marketing with with change. Um, And it's actually very fashionable to think that that things change and that we need to keep ahead of the curve, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I think that the issue with millennials or Generation X, Y or Z or whatever you want to call the cohort that changes every decade or with every generation, um, there's a fundamental error that's been made, which is which is that assuming each generation is different, um, and they're not. I mean, it's a, a, a quote from, from Bill Birnbach is, I think, uh, really useful here. He said, it took millions of years for man's instincts to develop. It will take millions more for them to even vary. It is fashionable to talk about changing man. A communicator must be concerned with unchanging man, with his obsessive drive to survive, to be admired, to succeed, to love and to take care of his own. I think a good um, brand example to bring up this point is Coke, who, um, and I'm slightly pulling this example out from the back of my memory, but um, they very much focus on storytelling and emotion. And they're very, you know, they're sort of quite convinced whenever you speak to any of their marketers that humans make decisions uh, from a very emotional place and that sort of rational thought very much comes second. And I think a lot of behavioural economic scientists would sort of say the same thing, that actually 
people make decisions with. I think I think the phrase that they sometimes use is the Homer brain rather than your Spock brain, I, you know, i.e. your idiot brain as opposed to your rational brain. And so a lot of Coke's marketing is really tailored towards the gut reaction, the story. And that's why you see, particularly in, they've got a new campaign, a global campaign that came out quite recently called Taste the Feeling. And it's it, it's all focused on stories and how you feel when you drink a Coke and not the kind of benefits of Coke versus a rival like Pepsi. So um, I find this idea of focusing on sort of core human needs quite interesting. I think we're all actually quite self-obsessed. This is, it's meant to be... Not just a millennial thing. Not just a millennial thing. Um it's basically empathy, isn't it, um, that we're talking about and as human beings. Unless... On the part of brands, you mean? No, on the part of us um, reacting to the emotion that brands are putting out. So we all have those things in common, um, humanity, as it were, and it's empathy that makes us feel what we're what the person in the advert is feeling for example and I don't think that you can get beyond that unless we all turn into robots basically. Why do you think marketers don't tend to focus on then these passion points because it it seems relatively obvious now that now that we've spoken about it and we've we've basically solved the whole problem of demographics during this podcast why you know why I I can understand why a brand, like a cleaning brand, for example. I mean, can they really go for the emotional heart when it, when it comes to advertising or are they going to be sort of advertising to sort of working parents in a particular demographic? Why do you think sort of some brands don't don't go for the passion point? Well, I don't think that it is necessarily product or category specific. Um, if you wear a cleaning product, lots of cleaning products do kind of appeal to that. Um, you know, P&G around the Olympics did a lot of stuff around mums and all of that sort of emotional stuff. But I think there are quite a few brands now that are, are going more down the sort of targeting people um, in terms of self-development and self-actualization. So those top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of things. So okay. uh, so Reebok's Be More Human campaign is a really good example of that. They're positioning fitness not as, you know, just exercise and something to make you healthier physically, but something that will make you healthier emotionally. Um, their kind of idea is that it will make you a better human being, which is quite lofty. For a sports brand but you know that doing exercise is this release that then allows you to be a better mother or father or friend and I think it's more that kind of clever marketing tactic that that can work well mm. there that can appeal to all of us as humans you can find out how human you are through Reebok with their human score mm. um, I think that's quite a nice idea. So Phil, as I mentioned, kind of very much cites neuroscience as, as something he feels marketers should be um, putting some research focus into rather than just demographics as a toolkit. And again, I found this very interesting as to why marketers kind of maybe steer away from using scientific research. Is it that scientific research is quite, um, particularly when it comes to why we make decisions, um, you know, it's not very advanced. We don't know why we make decisions because the human brain is a complete mystery. So I asked him a little bit about that and why, you know, marketers maybe need to learn to take uh, learn to take a bit more time to read some research and, and read into human behaviour. And this is what he had to say. New information is threatening. So if I'm, if I'm let's say I'm a, an insight manager in a, in a company and I've, I've been 
doing a tracking study for 10 years and I've got continuous data and you know, I'm comfortable with it. And then someone comes along and says, actually, the things you're measuring are, are not necessarily the drivers of, of behavior and the way you're measuring is not, is not a, a valid way, then I feel threatened um, you know, to the point where I might potentially lose my job. I might lose my kudos and position within, within the company. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's a natural human, uh, human reaction uh, in, in that example. So that uh, often, often um, you know, when I come, when I talk to a client with new information, um, I always try and think, well, what's, what neuropsychological goals are driving this particular client? Are, are they going to be security type goals or are they going to be excitement goals or are they going to be um, autonomy or power goals? Um, because, you know, you can find there are brand managers who are motivated by change and excitement. They want to make a mark. Uh, they've got two years in their role and, and they need to do something. So they, they may be embrace a new idea more than someone who wants security and continuity and some sort of um, regime and, and discipline that uh, they don't want their world upset by something new. So it, it's, that's one of the powers of this, uh, this goal approach is you can, you can understand um, anyone you're, you're talking to. Something else Phil um, talked about was, um, I think that's called a, the big five personality traits. And I, I might be wrong, you may need to Google that for the correct title. But he, um, you know, the, the sort of five, psychology is quite a sort of difficult field, famously. It's, it's sort of almost the scientifically lowest regarded field, I think, because it's just um, very difficult, again, to sort of quantify how people think and rationalise why they behave. But one of the most accepted sort of theories of personality is, is this big five proposition. Um, and again, I may have gotten the full five uh, behavioural factors, but, you know, it's sort of things like agreeableness and conscientiousness and neuroticism and openness to new experience and so on. And, and he says these are sort of, you know, it's, it's a theory like that, that a marketer should be sort of building not their entire strategy around, but but maybe exchanging for a tool like demographics is kind of looking at these very basic behaviours and basic reasonings behind behaviours rather than sort of trying to rely on sort of woolly terms like millennial, which um, I think he very rudely described as bullshit in, in one particularly sweary tweet. So um, yeah, it's very interesting that he sort of proposes a very science-based approach and it's, it's not something I hear many brands talking about. So, um, yeah, a really interesting one. If you'll see more sort of slightly more psychologically manipulative marketing coming out of brands and, you know, I, w I wonder whether that will play well with consumers. Um, I'm just very conscious of this being an age of ad blocking and so on. And so, you know, whether consumers do actually want sort of relevant ads, even if they are produced in a slightly more manipulative way. Yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds a bit more rigorous than just the bad science of picking out a couple of stats about, you know, people of a particular age group. When it comes to ad blocking, uh, I suppose this could work out well as well because you want things that are more useful um, to you. You don't want to just be targeted with something because you've looked at something similar and followed around Um I guess if you kind of knew what people's neuropsychological, is that right? I think so, yes. <laughs> goals were, then you it's could... It's a tongue twister, I know. It is a bit. Um, if you knew what those goals were, then it would be a lot easier to target in a more useful way, um, which can only be good. Uh, you, you're only going to block things that are annoying and irrelevant. Um, but then relevancy is a funny thing as well, because 
that comes down to maybe something specific that someone's going through at that particular time. I think Mark Zuckerberg said that sometimes a squirrel dying in your front garden is... um, (laughs) This is this is a weird quote, but apparently he he told his uh, employees this um, when talking about relevance. He said sometimes a squirrel dying in your front garden is more important to you than people starving halfway across the world, um, which is a pretty damning indictment on uh, humanity. But yeah, I'd never heard that quote. That that's great. Yeah, and it is kind of true. I mean, people are very they live in these little bubbles of their own lives and. Therefore, targeting them has to be very specific to things that are going on in their life at that point, unless they are these big universal human things. But I do think the big universal human things are quite difficult to use to target people because they have to be really spot on. Mm. So it's a sort of a good basis for creativity. But when it comes to actually sort of putting the creative out there, makes you know it's a little bit more difficult, perhaps. I feel like ad blocking and hyper targeting maybe uh, for a future podcast and not something to delve into right now. But but marketers, we've solved all your solved all your demographic problems, and that is use more science and think more about fundamental human needs. I think I think those are probably our two key takeaways for today. You have been listening to the Marketing Mind. I'm Shona Ghosh, and a special thank you to our producer Nan Davies and to our host Something Else. Also to my guest, Rebecca Coleman, features editor at Marketing, and to Phil Barden and Charles Valance. You can join in the conversation on Twitter following our hashtag MarketingMind or tweeting at MarketingUK. You can also find out more on our website, marketingmagazine.co.uk forward slash podcast. Mm-hmm.